This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. And I chop the wood And then I put up the peaches Like you said I should I mended the fences And painted them too Now is there anything I can do for you? Mm-hmm. I milled 12 heifers By the early morn And then I shucked about A hundred ears of corn I scrubbed all your britches till they look brand new. Now is there anything I can do for you? Any little thing you might want me to. Ooh. I rub magnolia petals on my skin. I cut my toenails, shave my cheeks. got a letter back from the missionaries about Nettie. It seems as if Nettie and the kids run into some kind of trouble trying to get home. I was gonna... You know what? Why don't y'all just come on by the house tomorrow? You can read it for yourself. Thank you for joining us backstage for another hot, hot episode. Hot. I'm joined, as always, by Mel Martin. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we're a couple of theatre nerds. We are based in Hamilton, New Zealand. Thank you. And we talk a whole lot about theatre and probably not much else most of the time. That's all you really need to know. The blanks will fill themselves in. So to speak from here. <laughs> yeah, they will. Last week we covered the rules of casting authentically, and there are plenty with a load of opinions to go with them. And musical of the week was a gentleman's guide to love and murder. Mike, where can our friends find that if they missed it and want to catch up? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Mel, because you can simply type backstage with Mel and Mike. I know that's a lot, but you know, bear with much. me. Type it into a search bar of any of your favourite podcast streaming apps. And I'm talking about things like accessmedia.nz, iHeartRadio, Apple Spot, Apple, Apple Pod- Podcasts, <laughs> Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you'll get the result. We will be there. You'll find us. Easy. Easy. 
I'm so excited about this week's Musical of the Week that I really just want to jump right in. How do okay. you feel about it? Yeah. I'm okay with that because you know way more about this particular show than I do. And I really want to sit back and just let it waft over me and, okay. and educate me. You, I know a little bit about it, but not enough. Are you into like jazzy, jazzy, bluesy? I am. I think Excellent. you would really enjoy this It's show a mood then. thing though. You know, you've got to be got to be in the mood for that sort of thing. But yeah. I know that that's the flavor of the show. So, um, yeah, I, I would certainly sit through well, maybe that, have a listen to it. Feel. Have a listen to it on your next drive home. Uh, the color purple yeah. was originally an epistolary novel written in 1982 by American author Alice Walker. Uh, I had to Google what epistolary means, and it is a novel written as a series of documents. The usual form is letters, although diary entries, newspaper clippings, and other documents are sometimes used. Uh, in recent years, electronic documents, air quotes, such as recordings, radio snippets, blogs, emails, have also come into use. Of course, epistles used to be what you called letters. Like, you know, oh, you write right. an epistle to someone, it was usually a fairly long explanatory letter about something or other. Right. And, well, it came to mean long and complicated. <laughs> but sure. epistles used to be just a letter. Right. Okay. I didn't know that. I should have researched that better, but that makes a lot of sense now. That novel, The Colour Purple, won the 1983 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction and the National Book Award for Fiction. It was also the frequent target of censors and appears on the American Library Association list of the 100 most frequently challenged books between the years 2000 and 2009 because of some t- of the sometimes explicit content, particularly in terms of some of the violence that it portrays. The 1985 film adaptation, also titled The Colour Purple, that was directed by Steven Spielberg, featuring a score by Quincy Jones, who also produced. That cast featured Whoopi Goldberg in her breakthrough role with Danny Glover and Oprah Winfrey. And before we fast forward through to the creation of the Broadway musical in 2004... On a Sunday morning in 1909, 14-year-old Celie, who has had one child by her father, Alfonso, and is now pregnant with her second, plays a clapping game with her younger sister, Nettie. While attending services with the other members of their rural Georgian community, Celie goes into labour and is dragged out of the church as the congregation quietly looks on. After Celie gives birth to a son, her father takes the child away and bluntly says to her, I'm taking this one away like I did with the last one. And Celie quietly says goodbye to her newborn and asks God for a sign and a song. Four years later, local farmer and widower Albert Mr. Johnson, who's known as Mr., he approaches Alfonso and asks permission to marry one of his daughters. I think he wanted that one of those daughters to be Nettie. Uh, but Alfonso offers him Celie instead and throws a cow into the bargain. Just sweeten the deal? You can't have the one you Take want, but you well. can have the ugly daughter plus mm, a cow. Of course, Celie was tainted. She's no good now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although the girls promise never to be separated, Celie goes with Mr. to save Nettie's dreams of becoming a teacher. The local church ladies cluck their approval while Mr.'s field hands introduce Celie to a life of hard work. Great song there called Big Dog, which I'll play for you soon. One day, Nettie arrives, explaining that she is tired of Alfonso's lecturous attentions and asks if she can stay. Mr. agrees, but later attacks Nettie while she's walking to school. She fights back, prompting Mr. to kick her out. Celie protests, but Mr. swears they will never see each other again. As she leaves Mr.'s property, Nettie promises to write Celie, but when Celie goes to the mailbox the next day, Mr. slams the mailbox shut, threatening to kill her if she ever touches it. Wow. Yeah. And we're still in like the 19, early 1900s. 
1920, Mr's son Harpo brings home Sophia, a strong-willed woman whom he later marries. When he complains that he's tired of Sophia bossing him around, Mr and Celie tell him the only way to get her to listen is to beat her. Uh, Harpo attempts to do so, but ends up being beaten by her, by Sophia. After confronting Celie, Sophia learns the extent of Mr's cruelty and tells Celie to stand up for herself before leaving home to spend some time with her sisters. Harpo decides to turn his house into a juke joint, which is an unofficial club bar gambling premises. Den of iniquity. Yes. And Harpo engages in an affair with a waitress named Squeak, who moves in with him. Sometime later, the community prepares for the arrival of jazz singer Suge Avery, who is revealed to be Mr.'s longtime lover. But when Suge arrives with her band, she is in such bad shape that Celie nurses her back to health in spite of local disapproval. Wow, what a complicated story. Yeah. And brutal. I wonder, I mean, things were like that, right? Yeah, well, I can't help thinking that it's an accurate portrayal of kind of desperate times leading into the Depression. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Especially for the African-American people. I know. The um, brutality they experienced just as a result of the racism around them. But um, their expectations in life were so much tainted by that as well. they, they, They didn't expect much more. No. And this is, uh, seems to be a fairly honest portrayal so far. But anyway, I've interrupted. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I apologize. Uh, while Celie is tailoring a dress for Shug's debut at the club, um, she experiences feelings of warmth and tenderness for the first time. Shug, meanwhile, learns more about Celie's relationship with Mr. and encourages her to find her inner strength. That night at Harpo's Duke Joint, Shug brings down the house with a raucous blues number. Uh, Sophia arrives with her new boyfriend Buster and dances with Harpo, prompting Squeak to pick a fight. The fight eventually escalates into a bar brawl, and that prompts Shug and Celie to escape together. After returning to Mr's house, Shug and Celie explore their newfound relationship. Uh, Shug uncovers several letters for Celie that have come from Africa. Celie recognises Nettie's handwriting and realises that her sister is alive, not dead as she thought. Wow. Yep. And then it's intermission. Oh, you'd need a breather. You would You would yeah. need a breather, wouldn't you? What a fantastic tale. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Act 2, while reading the letters that Mr. has hidden from her all these years, Celie learns that Nettie is in Africa and is living with the missionary family that adopted her children. In Georgia, Sophia is arrested for assaulting the mayor after refusing to work for his wife. And then when Celie goes to visit her, she learns that Sophia will serve out her sentence in the mayor's custody. And you can guess what that will be like. That's right. Mm. Leave that to your imagination. Uh, In 1932, after learning the extent of Celie's anger towards God, Suge invites her to come back to Memphis with her so they can just enjoy the simple joys of life. After sitting down to dinner, Celie tells Mr. that she's leaving and Squeak announces she is also leaving. When Mr. refuses and tries to beat her, Celie stands firm and curses him, like literally puts a curse on him. Harpo then invites Sophia to come back and live at the, jink- at the Duke joint, reconciling with her in the process Eventually, Mr. begins to feel the effect of Celie's curse. Harpo tries, challenges his father to make things right after a bunch of terrible things happen to him, which force Mr. to try to understand the meaning of Celie's curse and the meaning of life other than his tough childhood, like you mentioned, growing up just before the Depression yep. in the South of America, African-American, etc. So much happened through ignorance so, uh, on both sides, but predominantly from the uh, the white people who were just uh, horrible because they knew no better. That's right. They thought, yeah. oh, I'm being told that these people are beasts. Yeah. I'll just do that. 
At Shug's Memphis home, Celie starts writing back to Nettie and discovers that she has a natural gift for making pants. After inheriting her childhood home, Celie starts a business and begins selling her designs. Meanwhile, Harpo and Sophia hit it off and learn that Mr. is having difficulty getting Nettie and the children to come to the United States. The three resolve to make a plan. Shug tells Celie she has fallen in love with a 19-year-old musician in her band and asks for permission to have one last fling with him. While walking home, Celie realises she's not destroyed by this and for the first time feels a deep love for herself. How nice. Yeah. Uh, several years later, while hosting a 4th of July picnic for the community, Celie hears a car horn and a familiar voice from her childhood. It's Nettie singing the clapping song they sang years ago. They both run to each other, they hug, and, and Celie's children are all right behind them growing up. After learning that Mr. and Shug have made their reunion possible, Celie thanks them and God for reuniting her with her sister. So there's redemption for Mr. after all. I think so, yeah. It's, I mean, a, it's a kind of a happy ending. Yeah, I think the the bad guy is in um, Celie's, their dad. I yeah, think definitely. he gets what he deserves. Yeah. But I think there is some redemption. I think there's a lot of overcoming adversity. Interesting development of the characters like Harpo, who came round. Yeah. And eventually Mr. does as well. And um, after going through so much, they end up with a life that they can feel comfortable with. Yep. It's a nice ending. Yeah, it is a nice ending. But what a story. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, So now that you know all of that, uh, The Colour Purple was originally workshopped by the Alliance Theatre in Atlanta, Georgia, in the summer of 2004, following Scott Sanders optioning the work from Alice Walker in 1999 and auditioning various creative team members. The September 9, 2004 world premiere of the musical was produced by the Alliance Theatre in Atlanta by special arrangement with Creative Battery and Scott Sanders Productions. The musical opened officially at the Broadway Theatre in December of 2005 and closed in February of 2008 after 30 previews and 910 regular performances. That Broadway production recouped its $11 million investment within the first year on Broadway and had grossed over $103 million by the time it closed. That's not a bad investment. That's not bad for only <laughs> 900 and something performances. In 2007, the first professional national tour began and ran until 2010, and then a second national tour with a new non-equity cast opened also in 2010. A third national tour with a non-equity cast opened on January 17th of 2012. The first international production, directed by John Doyle, opened for a limited season in London at the Menia Chocolate Factory in 2013. And then comes the production of The Colour Purple that most of us will be familiar with and that we're featuring um, in our tracks today. On January 9th, 2015, producers Scott Sanders, Roy Furman and Oprah Winfrey announced that the Menia Chocolate Factory production would be mounted on Broadway. Jennifer Hudson would make her Broadway debut in the role of Suge. Danielle Brooks would play the role of Sophia and Cynthia Erivo from the London cast would reprise her role as Celie. Erivo won the 2016 Tony Award for Best Actress in a Musical, with the production taking home the 2016 Tony Award for Best Revival of a Musical. Wow, that's quite a a pathway, isn't it? And interesting that um, Oprah was involved in um, making the decision to bring the UK version back to Broadway and mounting that clearly um, both she and the other producers would have seen you know, some really interesting stuff happening in the, in the London production and decided that was a better take. I think largely it was probably Cynthia Erivo. She does a lot of the Tony Award performances and she is yeah. just stunning. 
I must share some videos. She's really stunning. Um, anyhow, that revival was followed in 2018 by the first major international staging of the musical Since. That was in Johannesburg in South Africa in February of 2018. The first translated production of The Colour Purple opened on the 16th of April in Amsterdam that same year. And a new co-production between Curve Leicester and Birmingham Hippodrome opened in Leicester on June 28th of 2019 before transferring to Birmingham uh, later in July. And last but not least, the Canadian premiere of The Coloured Purple opened in Halifax in 2019, and that production was directed by Kimberly Rampasad, who was the first African-Canadian and female to helm the show. Wow. Yeah, so that's... A quite, lot. A lot, quite a lot in that. Quite a lot in that for the beginning of the episode. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. We've hardly drawn breath, but uh, a fascinating story, both for the uh, the story itself, the show. Totally. Uh, and its pathway to um, finding itself on Broadway and then uh, international productions that followed from there. I'm guessing there was probably a bit of an interruption to further progress thanks to COVID. Yeah, I would say so. But we may see other international productions happening yeah, I know, don't think as it's things open up forever. again. I'm interested to know how much of this would have been based on actual experiences that that people wrote about at the time. Yeah, I'd say it probably was, especially that first book, that original novel, was probably based off of... Because it was written in the 80s, so it was probably based on the writer's grandparents or parents' experiences. Somebody unearthed something and thought, this is a hell of a story here. Yeah, Yeah, well, actually, probably because of when it was set, I've always considered that it was an older story than that. When when you told me it was uh, only in the 1980s that the book came out, I thought, well, it's far more recent than I thought. It's still 40-something years ago. Yeah, it's now, isn't it? It's quite a a quick transition from the movie into a Broadway show, and I'm guessing maybe the music from the movie was what inspired the idea that as a Broadway musical it could work. Quincy Jones, um, who was very big in the music industry, sort of pre the early 80s, yeah, Yeah. um, pretty much all of good music history, and I think they just went, yep, there's something here. I well remember the impact that um, Whoopi Goldberg and Oprah Winfrey had as a result of that movie. Though they're, they're, Suddenly they were just names that everybody knew. They were Celie and mm. Shug, right? Yeah. yeah. And it, it, was a, um, it was a stunning breakout performance from both of them that, mm. that got them both noticed. And Spielberg's deft touch as a, produ- as a producer and director obviously made the difference. I've got a friend who coincidentally got the only... New Zealand interview with Oprah Winfrey and he tells a great story about she wanted to be in The Colour Purple so badly when the movie When the musical out. was on? Oh, the, the, the original oh, movie. Oh, the movie. Right, yeah, okay. she wanted to be in it. She was only early 20s, if that, and she hadn't really done too much before that and o- the Oprah Winfrey show wasn't a thing yet. No. And she had her agent calling and calling and calling, give me a roll, give me a roll, give me a roll. Please let me come back. I'm coming back. And she pestered and pestered and pestered, and that's how she got her role. Maybe that's how you get roles. I've got to call my agent. <laughs> Become a pest. Great story. And, yeah. and um, you know, some terrific people involved with this as it's evolved over the years. I wonder if it's um, if there's still more to come, you know, that, that there is going to be another uh, chapter in, in the whole story of, of the show and its, its sh- development. Almost surely. Yeah. There's my field, there's my cattle, and there's my men. Bolt his hair, hops, hops, and his hair, they cold. Don't want to hear no lip, just do what you told. But the chickens from 
Musical of the Week, The Colour Purple. I'm Mike Williams, back here backstage with Mel Martin. And I'm sneaking in a quick thank you here to our good friends at Free FM and Creative Waikato who endlessly support us. Not only us, of course, in our podcast, but also other artists and arts projects all around the region. They all benefit. They all do. And specifically for Free FM, also supporting communities of all kinds. We do our best, Mel. Uh, I'm into it, Mike. (laughs) I really like what you guys do here. Mel, before we go any further with uh, this episode, I just want to hark back to the weekend because a very important event happened, which was Boil Up for Mm. 2021. Yes. Um, And I thought some people may not even know much about what Boil Up was all about. It's been a while since we talked about it. So take us through that because it was a really um, engaging weekend with lots of really creative people involved. Mm, It was, wasn't it? a fantastic event at the Meteor. But you were at the heart of it all. I was only there off and on over the the two days and uh, I saw what I saw. But I'd like your take on it, and also uh, if you're able to give the uh, announcement as to what came out of the weekend and who's going to go further. Oh, am I allowed? Yeah. I'm sure I must be. To start with, Boil Up, um, as we've talked about, is uh, the development program that the Meteor sort of took over. So a couple of years ago, we would have seen it as the New Works Incubator that Creative Waikato helmed, um, and this year they've redeveloped it a little, uh, rejigged sort of how it all worked and uh, renamed it the Boil Up and put it through the Meteor. Uh, and so earlier this year, people were invited to submit their projects that they wanted to work on and nine groups were selected or nine projects were selected and just this past weekend, four of those works have been selected for professional development seasons and at the end of September. Right. Just before we go too much further with that, what were the parameters given for the type of works that were going to be considered for Boiler? 
there weren't really any parameters. It was uh, it had to be creative art of some kind. So it could be dance, could be uh, a performance, full, full blooded uh, play. Yeah, it could be a play. It could be a dance piece. It could be a physical theatre device piece. It could be uh, something that's just a, literally just an idea. Uh, it could be. It could literally. But just the only parameter was that it's a unique work, so something that you've created yourself. Right. Take us now through the framework of the, of the weekend. What actually happened? Yeah, well, we've had a couple of weekends, so. Uh, a couple of months ago, we had a workshop weekend where we welcomed Jonty Hendry and Anders Falsti Jensen, Jensen, who are professional theatre makers in New Zealand. And so they've been called what um, what they're calling guest mentors. And so they come into the region and into Hamilton and work with these projects and these artists and give them all of the professional knowledge that they've got. Um, and so me, my, myself, Sian Parker and Mikey Sorensen are resident mentors. So again, giving all of the knowledge that we've got offering our expertise wherever we can. Um, and this past weekend, so these works started as an idea, just a little seed in March. And this past weekend, we've got almost fully developed works. It's amazing, isn't it? It's very exciting. Yeah. Uh, from both established and non-established artists. And uh, so we saw on Sunday a essentially a performance showcase of eight different pieces and four of those pieces were selected for for um first season later this year. Okay, so what 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 happens as a result of that? You know, the four that have been chosen, what what's the next step for them? Yeah, so I mean, so the all eight pieces will get produced at some point. Um so that's not like now that we're not producing your thing, you're out. It's not really like that. No, it's, but there are other avenues and other things that can be done. That's right. And the media are intent to support um, the, the other four projects for production next year. Cool. But the immediate four, they get um, they each get a week season at the end of September or early October, and those seasons will be they'll have invited audiences to them from um, Creative New Zealand, from Play Market, from um, the Pans Arts Festival, from. All sorts. There's lots of different, like the French festivals and the various arts festivals around the country. Um, so very important people come to these seasons, and it's essentially your first, well, their first professional production. So they're able to say, so to to be selected by Pans to be put up for, you know, theatres to buy your work. Um, you have to have had a professional production. So the Meteor so is offering is the Meteor is offering that professional production to get your work to the next stage. You know, this is a terrific um, opportunity all round. But what a what a wonderful incentive uh, for people to actually get their work out there and, and put it in front of somebody and say, "Hey, what do you think of this? You know, is this worth pursuing?" It's super exciting. It's a, and even if you don't like what people have to say, you, you still figure out where you stand. Yeah. And you know, you you start to feel really strongly one way or another, and you think, "No, you can't tell me what I have to change about my pace," <laughs> and you stand firm, or you say. Oh, actually, you're right. Let's try that. You know, and it's a, it's a learning piece, whichever way you come at it from. There was a lot of that that I saw mm-hmm. in, the, in the sessions that I was part of over the weekend, where where people were so open to uh, creative uh, criticism and constructive criticism. A couple of people that I thought, man, maybe they're going to be a bit resistant to this, actually were entirely mm-hmm. the opposite and yeah. just saying, "Oh, bring it on! I hadn't thought about that." Yeah, this this is wonderful. Well, and it's actually very hard, you know, having participated sort of in this process a couple of years ago. It's actually really hard to put your work in front of people and then have them say things that they would change. Yeah. Because, you know, as an artist, you pour your heart and soul into these things. Right, and you, so you start off justifying yourself, saying, hey, but I wanted to do this. Oh, but that's yeah. there because this, and yeah, oh, no, yeah. that was on purpose. And, and it's, so it's, it's sort of like this 
massive combination of bravery and courage yeah. and artistry and collaboration, It's which is all are really hard things on their own and you've got to mash them together so it's a little bit harder but uh, kudos to those who who were involved um you know as mentors and for the organization of the whole weekend because mm. i felt immediately when i walked into it as basically an observer but a, you know as an active participant that uh it was an extremely supportive environment and i don't think anybody went in there feeling particularly vulnerable awesome. you, you get past that first stage where people are offering uh you know completely objective points of view about your work yeah and if you accept that and move on from there, then the the whole atmosphere there was of, of people trying to make things better. Yeah. And nothing but the will to succeed for everybody. That's it. Like, well, and the, and the mentors and the, both the resident mentors and the guest mentors, we actually have nothing to gain out of this other than seeing these participants succeed. And the potential of getting some terrific new work out, out of the Waikato. Yeah. That's right. So, like, it... it does nothing but benefits the region, benefits the media, or benefits these participants, but and just benefits our arts community. And I saw a lot of people walking away on Sunday afterwards, you know, with a terrific air of, of um, you know, exploring possibilities. What what new frontiers could open up for them? Totally, just by taking part. So, I you know, I hope boil up in its uh, current iteration anyway mm. uh, continues for many years to come because it has got to be really healthy for our region, for the Waikato region, to get those creative people getting their stuff out there i think so and more and more and we talk about this quite a lot how the arts community and industry in hamilton is uh more and more worth recognizing on a national scale yeah because the art and some of the work that's coming out of here and the performers that are coming out of here are next level yeah um so what a huge accomplishment to those boil up participants you know and sian parker is still touring works from two years ago from that she created during the incubator so you know this could be a massive stepping stone for these people it could be indeed let's cut to the chase then of the participants over the weekend let's uh, let's go through the four that, that are going to go f- further oh am i allowed to tell you i must be allowed to tell you um i haven't been given official permission so deb i'm really sorry but um all of the participants have been made aware and okay. they will be announced soon uh so we've got connor maxwell with his piece uh junior which is a family drama murder mystery play uh, you've got Lily Impsom, who has devised, created a hybrid theatre dance piece around a eulogy, the eulogy of her grandmother. Yep. Uh, who else? James Smith has created a piece. It's sort of a sci-fi. It's set in a sci-fi world, but it's a it's an it's essentially an exploration of the conversation around gender, masculinity, femininity, gender identity, etc. And the last piece is Hinirangi Maria, and I actually forget her last name, but uh, also known as Honey, and she has created a hybrid kapahaka theatre dance song piece. Yeah. So they're all really, very exciting ones. Really neat, diverse stuff. And we won't go into detail here, but there's, those are things I'm sure we'll come to you know, further programs. Uh, and as we get closer to the season in September, October, when those things will be hitting the stage with their further development in place. But congratulations to all those who, A, took part, but also the, B, are going to progress a little further with this. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And as you said from the outset, even those that, that didn't come across the line this time, as far as that goes, will get their opportunity to be supported by the Meteor, which they is fantastic. Will. All eight of these pieces, you will see all eight of these pieces performed at some point during the next 12 months, I would oh, say. Oh, look, roll on, boil up 2022. Can't wait. Going to be exciting, isn't it? Um, so you know how I'm a, bit, a big fan of Lin-Manuel Miranda? And he of you. 
Oh, stop it. <laughs> Gosh, I'm blushing. Um, and his show in the Heights, uh, is an all time favorite of mine. Yes. Um, you also know that the long awaited film has finally been released in cinemas and that I, uh, Wanted was wanting to see it yeah. and did see it last weekend. Okay, so you sat there enthralled, spellbound, and it was everything you wanted it to be? Well, before I tell you, uh, let's take a little listen to Lynn's recent interview with Jimmy Fallon. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with Lynn Manuel Miranda. Now he's... Let's talk about uh, In the Heights. This is uh, the movie adaptation of your Tony winning Broadway musical. Uh, you started writing this when you were in college, you were 19. Uh, when you were writing this, and what, what did you envision uh, when, you were, when you were writing this? Yeah, I was not much older than the king of wishful thinking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, that you saw, but I, I honestly, I just, um, I knew I wanted a life in musicals. I, I directed West Side Story my senior year of high school, and I knew that was kind of it for Puerto Rican guys in musical theater. That's all that existed. Yeah. I love that show, um, but it was a long time ago. Wow. And, and I just kind of was writing what was missing, and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to write musicals starring Latinos, telling different stories, and, um, I, like, and here we are 20 years later, right? And now I'm on The Tonight Show talking to you. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, that's why. But no, it's, it's, it shows how much work goes into all this stuff. And yeah. The lightning in the... I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, and, and don't stop. And you never stopped. And you just go, you know, we're just going to keep doing this. I'm going to yeah. write this. And uh, it is brilliantly done. The choreography. The uh, singing. Anthony Ramos. What a superstar. Superstar! Uh... It's just, it's colorful, it moves, it's hopeful, it's a beautiful story. Uh, and uh, yeah, it just gives you everything you want to see in a movie. I loved it, I needed it. I, like, I need a film. Like, I love Godzilla vs. Kong, that's all good. I need this though, I needed, I needed this. And I was like, oh, and then there's a scene where it's like, oof, this is gonna get sad, you're not gonna do it. And yeah, it does, it gets you <laughs> and you go, oh, it's so yeah. great. But I, 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 I just, I, I freaked out. Uh, I, but when I talked to you, when John was doing the movie, you go, yeah, and I think I might, I might do something in the movie. You were not going to be in it. I was not going to be in it. I was, I was never planning to be in it. I, I had my Broadway experience, which was a miraculous experience. I went from substitute teacher to Broadway composer. I will never make a leap that big again <laughs> in my life. Um, and so I was very content to let Anthony Ramos and this incredible cast kind of have their own experience. And Kiara, my co-writer, and John Chu kept dropping hints like, we haven't cast Piragua guy yet. We haven't cast Piragua guy yet. And I was like, oh, that's cool, that's cool. And then Kiara said two things. Uh, she wrote the screenplay and she's a genius. Um, but she also said, um, I think that we might have to cut Piragua um, because it doesn't really move the plot along, but I thought of a way not to cut it. And I went, what is the way? I love that song. And she said, if you play Piragua guy, they won't cut Piragua you can't guy. can't cut Piragua guy. <laughs> yeah. He's my favorite. He too. The song is so good. Yeah. It pays off. Yeah. And it, she also said, like, if you hadn't written this, you'd be begging to be in this movie. This is what you always dreamed of. And, like, that kind of got through to me. And I'm, I'm so glad I was a part of it because it's just, I'm so proud of what John made. And you guys, there's a moment where I sing with Anthony. And he played my old part. And I get to duet with him. And I'm on a fire escape. And he's a floor below me. And I'm singing a new harmony. And he's singing my old harmony. And there's all these, like... Full circle moments. It was really, it was like a dream come true. Every, every day. It's so well written. It's so good. 
And you go, yeah, at the end, you're, you're clapping out, even though I was watching at home, and I was just, like, clapping, but I was like, oh, my God. I want to show everyone a clip. Here's Lin-Manuel Miranda in In the Heights. Take a look. Tomorrow night opens the Tribeca Film Festival, which means a lot to uh, New York City, but also to everyone in the, in the business. I mean, what they've done with that festival. But you're opening uh, the film festival. You're going to be in Washington Heights showing this to a theater. We premiere this movie on 175th Street, y'all. Like, it's in Washington Heights. <laughs> That's... That, talk about uh, the, the emotional, that's like, uh, it, it is a love letter to Washington Heights, really, and New York City, and I think that's just, that's going to be another special moment. It's going to be insane. <laughs> uh, buddy, I love you so much. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming on the show. We love you. Lin-Manuel Miranda, In the Heights, is in theaters on HBO Max. Well, this show, In the Heights, has been a real labor of love for this guy. You can tell that, uh, you know, from the get-go. Uh, definitely a lot of passion, a lot of love, and a lot of thought for access and accessibility goes into all of his work. What I'm really dying to know, though, is why In the Heights came up in conversation today, why you've brought it to me now, and <laughs> yeah. why what you. I'm really keen to know what you thought about the movie, now, yeah, that, now that I know you've seen it. Well, you know, like, I, I left sort of, I think last time I saw you, I said, Mike, you got to go see In the Heights. Yes, I'm you did. Go see you it. did say that. And I'm, a, like I said, a big fan of Lin-Manuel Miranda's work and got a lot of respect for the thought and effort, like you say, he puts into inclusivity and, and accessibleness. But if I'm really being honest, I didn't love it, but I did not hate it, but I didn't love it. Okay. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> Can't ask for more on the fence than that. It was fine. Okay. Um, yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit? Tell me what your reservations are about it for a start, and yeah. then tell me the, the parts you think really worked. Yeah. Well, so and that's why I thought it was important to play that clip first, because you know, like I mentioned, I have an enormous amount of respect for his work, but it's almost for that reason that I didn't love the film. Okay. Uh, I The show is really upbeat and bright and um, it ends on this really happy high and while remaining relatable to its audience still, I don't feel like the movie really encapsulated everything that I love about the show. Could that be, though, that you are so familiar with the the stage show? and Totally. You know, there's always a disconnect, isn't there, between stage shows and movie adaptations of stage and shows. And we say this all the time. We do. We say, we, you know, we've often said that if you go and see a movie without knowing what the stage show is about, often you'll enjoy it a lot more than if you have seen the stage show. And I think it's... Um, very rare that you would find a movie that ticks all the boxes in terms of that immersiveness. Yeah, I agree. Um, any changes to the content aside, film is a medium that definitely needs a lot more 
depth in terms of detail, a lot of background, a lot of um, stuff that you can gloss over a bit on stage. And, mm, that, and yeah. I sometimes think that might detract from the point of the story. And I had this, I'll, I'll relate one small thing to you now. Funny, this came up actually because over the weekend, uh, was talking to somebody who came uh, to uh, see duets while that was still on and um, said she had also been to see Sweeney Todd when I was in that in Tauranga. Now, that was a fairly small budget, small production. It wasn't, mm. wasn't huge. But she said, you know, I, I went and I watched the movie before I came to see your production of Sweeney Todd. And she said, I've got to be honest, I found that the stage show was far more engrossing for me and far more uh, an experience mm. than watching the movie. Also made me think about the, the things we've just talked about, but um, I sometimes also wonder whether seeing something on a screen, whether it's a big screen in front of you and, and you're surrounded by 200 people in a cinema, or if you're just sitting at home watching something on your TV, the fact that it is a two-dimensional screen in front of you is a barrier to that feeling of presence and that feeling of people pouring their guts out in front of you. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think, yeah, I do agree. And I think that in itself did what the film was trying to achieve but they added another layer of that by stripping things back and it just mm-hmm. it, it just didn't didn't work for me it's not made for existing fans it's not made for me okay it's not made for the people who have been longtime fans of the show it's made for a new audience it's made to people like me that's right to rec- recruit new fans and introduce the show to a new audience um, and bring the story into 2021 and expose like a expose the mainstream audience to the stories that it tells so like pleasing me and people like me was not the film's objective i wonder uh and we have no way of knowing the answer to this but i wonder what lin-manuel miranda's feeling was as he was working on the film whether he was conscious of what those limitations were going to be and whether he made certain decisions based on that anyway well i do know that they so in the Heights originally was written, the music and lyrics were written by Lynn, but the, the book, the story, the play was written by a playwright that he yeah. brought in. And you need that. Um, and she was the one to make most of the changes to the script right. for the movie. And I don't know why she did some of that. <laughs> I get well, some of it. I do respect that uh, wanting to put the material in front of uh, different audiences and people that have never been. Um, exposed to it before is, mm. is a thing to do and, and it's a way to breathe extra life if you like into a piece of work that could easily have just sort of fallen into the pit of shows that have sort of had their moment and gone again you know so yeah. maybe this is giving that show a new chance at life so to speak yeah and, there, and like you mean there are so many shows that fall into that pit of oh my gosh aren't they you know where the shows just yeah. never come back from yeah uh, I, I won't name any in short answer then you are saying to me that uh, possibly it's a movie I shouldn't really bother with um, you know I am a pretty big advocate for going and seeing for yourself and yeah. and formulating your own opinion um, it's definitely a show that is not specifically for a young audience so I think you would find something to enjoy I do think there's something in there for everyone it's a pretty universal story of mortality and community and like I mentioned earlier overcoming adversity Uh, and so aside from anything else there are some stunning performances in there specifically Anthony Ramos who plays Usnavi he featured in the original Broadway cast of Hamilton he's just fabulous Olga Merides who was Abuela Claudia in the Broadway cast and in the film Oh, she is amazing. Go see it just for her, actually. Okay. Uh, and the highlight of the cast for me was Gregory Diaz the Fourth, who plays Sonny. He's 16 years old, and he really brings uh, the 
reality of the story home in a, in a really heartbreaking but you know real way I'm comforted that you um, personally felt like you sat on the fence with this that it was fine um, <laughs> but you can see the value in those things and, and express that to me now because it gives me the, the feeling like this is actually something I should see because I've never seen the stage show I'm not familiar with it as much as you are yeah. and I think for me to get an opportunity to see those performances and to see everything in context will be great so the, I will do it the choreography is great and the performances are great and if nothing else you'll just get to experience a little bit of the show that I've been talking about for all these years but um, for me it doesn't quite t- tick the boxes but it is a stunning piece of work. And, you know, like I know fans of, of um, the production who love the movie, mm. who think it's the best thing since sliced bread. So don't listen to me. Hey, well, look, there's another big plus anyway. It's another musical movie. That's you right. You can't go wrong there. Get it on your DVD shelf, guys. <laughs> I'd be interested to know what you think if you go and see the movie, uh, or any, what anyone thinks, actually. If you've seen In the Heights and have thoughts too, feel free to drop us a comment on Facebook or Instagram or give us an email and we can discuss it a little bit further. Look at him, Miss Ely. Look at yourself. Mm-hmm. I've always been the kind of guy that had a lot to say. I've said the things that's on my mind, too dumb to shy away. But you hush my mouth and still me. With a song I never heard I guess that means that you are just too beautiful for words I've seen this life from high and low And all that's in between I've danced with dudes, crooned with counts Been courted like a queen when I see what's in your heart, oh, the rest is blood. The grace you bring into this world's too beautiful for words. You hide your head under your wings, just like a little bird. Oh. Don't you know you're beautiful, too beautiful for words. Ooh, silly, you're too beautiful for You're backstage with Mel and Mike, and our musical of the week is The Colour Purple. We are very proudly sponsored, by the way, by Free FM and Creative Waikato. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, <laughs> whoop, whoop. It has been a whirlwind of excitement this week, and I can hardly believe that it has nearly been an hour of excitement and, and musicals <laughs> and theatre. Uh, before we say adios, though, get those calendars out, because it is time to take note of what's on around the place soonish. Okay, let's kick off with The Meteor. Paradise or the Impermanence of Ice Cream is presented by Indian Inc. on July the 6th. 7th through to the 11th, and Beards, 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 written by Trick of the Light, directed by John O'Freeburn for the July school holidays coming up July 
18th to 23rd. At Clarence Street Theatre, over there on Clarence Street, obviously, Chicago is presented by Hamilton Operatic Society. They hit the stage last week, actually, and is on stage until July the 10th. And Let It Go, The Songs of Frozen in Concert, is presented by Showcase Entertainment, and that's on July 12th. I bet that gets popular, too. Mm. The Gallagher Academy of Performing Arts at the University of Waikato has Hepu Heporo Hepurakao, featuring Jeremy Mayo, Horomono Horo, and Benny Marama. That's on July the 3rd. At Rivoli Theatre, Hamilton Musical Theatre, are up, they are in rehearsal right now for Mamma Mia, which goes to stage in October. And sales are already open for tickets for that. Navarra Lounge, the next couple of gigs at Navarra Lounge are already sold out, but do keep an eye on the Navarra Lounge Facebook page because uh, Ivan will be putting lots of stuff up there about upcoming events and gigs. Over in the Te Aroha Little Theatre, they're in rehearsal for Death and Taxes by April Phillips. That's going to stage in September. Thames Music and Drama, Peter Pan and the Bedellian Secret by Alan Cumming is opening July the 3rd, running till the 10th. In Rotorua at their musical theatre, Spamalot is directed by Alastair Hay. That hits the stage in August. Let's go to Tauranga and Tauranga Musical Theatre in rehearsals for Les Miserables on stage in September. 16th Avenue Theatre has Neighbourhood Watch by Alan Akeborn, directed by Dennis Smith, opening July the 9th, running till the 24th. And Detour Theatre has How to Train Your Husband by Devin Williamson, running till July the 3rd. That's selling hand over fist. It's sold out, I believe. Yeah. In rehearsal also for Sherlock Holmes, The Adventure of the Speckled Band, and that's opening in September. Only Federal Society of the Performing Arts. Nice new, to hear about them. Too. Yeah, new one on the list because they're quite prolific out there. Yeah. Uh, in rehearsal for The Jailhouse Frocks by Devin Williamson coming up in September. Auckland Theatre Company, last plug for this, The Life of Galileo by Bertolt Brecht with David Hare's translation on right now through till July the 10th. I wish I was going to get to see that. I'm not going to. Uh, in the way of upcoming auditions and opportunities, auditions for Rivoli Theatre's Christmas show, Back to the 80s, are being held on July 10 and 11. You can email Show at gmail.com to get an audition time. Hamilton Musical Theatre is still looking for a director for their May 2022 season of Blood Brothers. Email info at hamiltonmusicaltheatre.co.nz with a letter outlining your experience and a plug for why you're the director for the job. But I suggest you do it today because I think today's the cutoff, 30th. Yeah, do it right now. The Directors and Editors Guild of New Zealand, the New Zealand Writers Guild and Equity New Zealand, who are the Performers Union, they're running a Know Your Rights workshop in Hamilton on Saturday, July the 3rd for those wanting to work professionally in New Zealand's creative sector uh, and particularly as an independent contractor. You can email me directly on service at ywrc.org.nz and get everything you need to know to register. I'd like to find out more about that a bit later on when you've got the time. Yes, I'd love to tell you all about it. Come and let me know. As always, please get in touch with us if you would like to add anything at all to the list. Email backstagepodcastnz at gmail.com or flick us a message on Facebook or Instagram. We'll pick it up from there. And consider this your last reminder for today to please get in touch with Creative Waikato if you or your arts project could use their assistance. And don't forget to catch Backstage wherever you get your podcasts. Like Mike told us before, Backstage is available on accessmedia.nz, iHeartRadio, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And head on over to Instagram and you'll find Backstage Podcast NZ where Mel will be sharing today's episode plus our Musical of the Week soundtrack on our story. I've been Mike, she has been Mel and you have most definitely been Backstage again. We are going out today with Push the Button from the Colour Purple. Stay classy, theatre nerds. See you.
something about good loving that all you ladies should know. If you want to light your man on fire, you gotta start it real slow. Begin to glow like you're switching on a light bulb. Watch the juice begin to flow. Use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.